It's said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because this might get uncomfortable. Starts right now with Jason Robel and Whitney Lauritsen. In researching and going down the rabbit hole of finding out about our guest today, I stumbled upon a really compelling article on Medium that caught my attention and definitely piqued my interest. And I want to dive into this episode by reading a tiny bit of this article that really hit me in a wonderful way. And the beginning of the article starts by saying, does this sound familiar? Every Sunday before the work week starts, your anxiety is over the roof and you can feel the onset of a panic attack creeping up. You hate your job. It's making you absolutely miserable. And you know that if you leave, find someplace else, you'll end up hating that too because you have no fucking clue what you want to do in life. The daily grind chews you up, spits you out, that every night you'd feel the urge to cry in the fetal position, wishing that some way, somehow, it all comes to an end so that you'd finally be free. I see you, I hear you, and I fully understand even more than you think. And this is the beginning of a really compelling article from our guest today, Ibrahim Sharkas, how I controlled the voice in my head and found self-help that actually worked. So Ibrahim, the thing, the, the payoff of this article, and I was like, well, what's the, what is this simple, stupid trick he's talking? I want to know. I want to know how to shift this feeling in my gut, this dread. And in this article, you said it's expression. And I thought, huh, expression. Interesting. So I, I want to start there with you, my friend. What is it about the idea of expression that can unlock more freedom and joyfulness and help us kind of escape this trap you described so brilliantly in this article? Tell us about expression and why it's so important. Yeah, thank you so much for bringing that article up. It's ironic enough. I guess the short little answer is sometimes when I write, I forget certain things that I've written. So thanks for bringing that up. I really appreciate that. But one of the, I guess there's a short answer and a long answer towards that. The short answer is this. In my life, personally, any time that I find myself stuck where I'm not expressing, I become depressed. And knowing that and being aware of me personally, my own stance on certain things that are being unsaid, I want to find a healthy way to express it, really, really express it and share it. The long-winded answer to that is within my life, based on the, you know, the highs and the lows, I can see a trajectory and a pattern. And that pattern is this, when I'm feeling love and I express that love to a community to the people, places, and things that I absolutely love. A lot of times things just go in a very fluid, fluid way. And in the moments where I find myself feeling stuck, in the moments that I find myself even feeling alone, and I don't share that with the same level of maybe not clarity, but the same level of courage that I would share a high, I don't really find and discover a resolve. I just stay stuck and alone. So that's where I kind of come from that. And I think nowadays expression, especially expression from the heart is one of the most important, fundamentally most important things that all of us can actually do on a day-to-day -day basis. How do we start to 
practice that. You know, when you say speaking from the heart and learning to express ourselves, you know, we we hear a lot of I don't know, I guess I guess we call them maybe like buzzwords, you know, we hear a lot on the social media about authenticity. We see the word vulnerability coming up a lot or realness, you know, just be real. But if we've been in a a mode in our lives of say quelling that inner voice or that inner expression or some people say you know your <laughs> your throat chakra is closed we hear a lot of different versions of this or maybe through different traumas we've experienced we don't feel a level of safety with expressing ourselves you know when you talk about speaking from the heart it resonates with me because i think a lot of times i have felt like it's important for me to process things fully before I express them because I don't want to misspeak or that sometimes I've observed myself in life telling people what I think they want to hear just so they'll leave me alone. <laughs> and so I guess this idea of training ourselves or practicing speaking from the heart, where do we even begin with that conversation if it's something we're not even used to or if that language is totally foreign to us? I think, you know, I would say it starts off with what I said during that short answer, and it's that A word, awareness. With awareness comes the courage in my life, at least I'm speaking subjectively. The more that I found myself being aware of how I'm feeling, the more that I found myself being aware of you know, just my external circumstances as consciously attuned to as possible. And I try to stray away. One thing you're going to notice for me is I try to stray away as much as uh, possible from these fluffy words that a lot of times you can see, you know, across the board being shouted throughout social media. But I truly do believe that with awareness, with awareness can come a state of expression. And of course, that whole processing aspect that happens within our lives, there's going to be a time where we're processing things internally before sharing it and saying it. It took me that article that I wrote on Medium it took maybe 18 to 19, maybe even 20 years to actually come out of me. So it took a while for that aspect to be processed. But the interesting thing is throughout the time of it being processed, throughout that time of it being cooking and boiling with inside of me, I became aware time and time again, based on certain situations of not enjoying my job, not really being alignment with my purpose, that it just took time. And once that awareness built up, totally conscious of it, the expression came out. And then that was able to serve hopefully one other person that is going through or is, you know, trotting through the same circumstances that I was at one point. One thing that I immediately noticed about you when I became aware of your work was in every photo that I've seen of you, there seems to be this joyful radiance that just emanates from within. And I think it's something that you feel, you know, when you meet someone for the first time, and obviously we haven't met face to face yet, but there seems to be just this immediate hit for me of radiance and joyfulness that comes from you. And I'm not sure if that's true. I'm sure you have challenges and, and struggles and grief like most humans on this planet who are not, you know, ascended masters or avatars, but it just feels to me like there's just a lot of love and joy and this certain energy that comes from within you. And my curiosity is if that is something that you feel was just something that's been with you naturally since a child, and if my perception is true, that's just my perception of you, or if it's something that you have practiced a need to cultivate, you know, of radiating joy 
getting into, you know, a sense of peace and contentment. It's just something that I feel from you. And I'm curious if that resonates, A, and B, if that's something you have to actively work on to cultivate within yourself. Yeah, that is a great question. And first and foremost, I have to say thank you for seeing that, you know, within me. I really appreciate it. And hopefully one day we can meet once this whole pandemia and the pandemic is over, but I would absolutely love that. And I want to start by acknowledging it in this way. One, if you can see a level of radiance, if you can see a level of love, if you can see a level of light within me, then that same frequency, that same resonance truly lies within you too. That's the divine, I would say the divinity more so of a reflection that we see within each other. That's that. Now, I've had ebb and flows throughout my life. I'll be the first person to tell you I don't experience love 24-7, 365. There's moments in time where, you know, I feel sad, I feel anxious, I feel, you know, the highs and lows, the whole cocktail of life, so to speak. But there is a level of daily practice, at least that I've instilled personally within my life. And if there's one thing I love talking about, and that is really of love, but there's four key characteristics that I find myself trying to practice every single day that put me into the position or maybe, you know, metamorphosized me being this person that I am today. And it is understanding how love fits within me and within my life. The second thing is humility. What can I do every single day to practice humility and, you know, every single step that I take, may it be bestowed with, you know, a level of humble resonance. Another thing is awareness, which we kind of alluded to in the beginning of the call, but how can I be more aware of my feelings? How can I be more aware of, of my surroundings, of my community? Again, the people, places, and things. And then the last thing comes down to self-regulation. When I'm tapping into these feelings in my life, hey, you know, I really enjoy making rugs as an example. I love knitting rugs and learning more about rugs. Maybe that's a passion, but let me be a little bit more aware of what makes me enjoy that. Is it the color? Is it the history behind it? The more that I start practicing some things at that level, at such a rudimentary level, a lot more joy, a lot more love kind of comes in with the activity, but it's definitely involving patience, I would say is one of the biggest things. And I still fumble 20 times a day with learning more about patience and how to bestow within my life. But it's these certain key characteristics. And quite frankly, a lot of these keys kind of gravitated me towards the path of what I'm currently studying today to really decode and understanding how can we feel these things? What makes us feel these things? And if we think we've never felt this before, how can we instill and build that muscle within ourselves. Wow. (laughs) I love listening to this. You have such a comforting presence. And one thing I'm really curious after you've shared that and talked a little bit about what you're studying, I know that you have this topic of exploration around traditional therapy, potentially causing more pain than serving people. And I'm super interested in that because I'm curious, do you consider anything that you just shared part of traditional therapy or part of a non-traditional therapy? Yeah, that's a great question. And in regards to the soothingness of my voice, it's probably the mic. I've been practicing my jazz voice like 24-7 nowadays since we're all meeting on Zoom. Um, But thank you for the acknowledgement. I resonate and I appreciate that greatly. I love that term, practicing my jazz voice. I feel like Jason would really cling on to that. and like You could use that one yourself, Jason. I was actually going to interrupt really quickly and be like, wait, does Ibrahim actually sing jazz? Was he being literal? Because I want to like hear you 
scat, man. I want to hear you riff on something, brother. <laughs> you know, we can try at the end of the call, but I don't know the retention of listeners. I may scare all the listeners away. So if we want to practice it, I'm totally down. We can wing it for 40 minutes. It's all up to you guys. I mean, the title of this podcast is This Might Get Uncomfortable. So who knows? By the end of the podcast, we might be doing some jazz runs. But I do want to hand, hand the baton back to you, Ibrahim, because you were answering Whitney's question about the things that you mentioned, whether or not they're, they're in traditional therapy or kind of outside of those lines. Totally, totally. And again, everything that I say, you know, take it for a grain of salt. It's completely subjective. It's just from my perception and my own understanding. But do I think it's traditional? I'm coming to terms with yes. I think at a certain point in life, the ever evolving research, the ever evolving discoveries that are happening within the space of psychotherapy, psychology, psychiatry, it was originally founded at its core with trying to understand one's mind. And if we take it from more of a, a mystic and historic tradition, depending on the person you want to look into, almost decoding aspects of one's soul or identifying what soul actually is within, you know, humanity, the study of psyche fully. And is it traditional where, you know, a lot of therapists are talking about love, humility, awareness, self-regulation, vulnerability, I'm seeing more people wanting to discover that wanting to actually discuss it and actually, you know, do clinical trials and clinical research or just research in a whole to see what we can do to add value to that. So is it traditional? Yes. Is it practiced all the time? Not really, not based on my awareness and my, you know, perception. So yeah, I think for me, a lot of the things that I choose to consciously dive into today based on research comes down to things that are considered almost alternative within the therapeutic space. I love, you know, aspects of medicine. I think it's absolutely amazing and stellar. But I remember, you know, there's a lesson that stuck with me years ago at one point in my life where I left pretty much the first year of my master's years ago before jumping into it again nowadays. I had no clue what to do. I sold every single belonging that I had out in Arizona to move back home in New Jersey without a clue of what to do. Long story short, one guy that owned this amazing farm out in Vermont studies Chinese and Tibetan medicine. And I was so fascinated with his outlook on Tibetan medicine. I still carry that today within the practice that I'm doing in psychology. And it's blending two sides of the same coin. With Tibetan medicine, it's fundamentally founded on this notion. It's to take things that are more, how can I say, preventative and preventative care, and also combining the wisdom of immediate emergency care. So how can we take, you know, aspects of psychiatric and, and um, psychiatric medicine and blending it with topics of love, blending with topics of resilience, blending it with topics of even humility, as I discussed it in the beginning, and how can we unfold both rather than relying on one? So is it traditional? Yes and no. I think wholeheartedly it should be blended in both same coin, no matter what, in my perspective. In diving into your studies, Ibrahim, your expertise and the things that you are passionate about is psychology, spirituality, humanities, psychology, religious studies. It brings up something for me, which I've read interviews with different theologians and different scientists. And it seems on a macro level that for a lot of people, the idea of God, spirit, universe, and the idea of science and the scientific method are somehow separate and they're diametrically opposed and they're part of this sort of duality consciousness that seems to pervade our reality here. But in reading certain interviews with, again, scientists and religious scholars or theologians, many of them, as they go down that rabbit hole of their individual studies, the scientists found that as they went 
down into the atomic level, the subatomic level, the level of sort of the stuff that maybe makes up the fabric of the universe. They realize that, you know, quote, God is in the details. And these scientists having a revelation that, you know, God and science are kind of one and the same and that religion and science don't have to be separated. I'm curious in your studies, your ongoing studies, your philosophy and your outlook at spirituality and science and the intersection of those two things. And for people who still feel that maybe those are dualistic approaches to life, the benefit of perhaps melding those two approaches together and seeing how they mirror one another? Yeah, that is a great question that people have spent, I think, millennia, decades, years and years and years, and many moments in time trying to really delve into and understand. Um, and interestingly enough, the paper that I'm currently completing now, it's it's pretty much on that. It's understanding spirituality outside the scope of you know religious study and how it can fit into humanity. For me, again, subjective, completely subjective. Everybody's going to have their own take on what spirituality is. I've personally found the last, I would say, maybe fifteen to maybe fifteen to twenty years of my life, wanting to see and understand: is there more than life? Is there more than, you know, this, this reality? And it's interesting that you say delving into, you know, the depths of one's own consciousness. With spirituality, I take it as a holistic approach. I try to fit in the things that were echoed within, quite frankly, more westernized Abrahamic religions, I would say, and even Eastern traditions, far Eastern traditions, and try to regulate how can I fit that into my life today. I don't necessarily take things as face value. If you see and study mythos, or if anybody who's listening to this ever studied, you know, Greek myths and Greek, you know, you know, philosophy, I try to take those stories and apply the essence of what these individuals were doing, the essence of one's own actions, not necessarily just things on the face, on the face value. And through operating in life that way, I've been able to understand. I would say the people that cross my path slightly differently than if I had a strict restriction towards, you know, one religious path personally for me in my life. So that level of openness truly allowed me to kind of, I would say maybe build bridges that I can cross with people of different, you know, ethnicities, of different cultures, of different religions. And I hope this level of spirit within myself can cross over to truly build unity across the board in a multitude of communities within our lives. I mean, it's a few days into the new year. Within the start of this new year, speaking of unity, there's been a lot of chaos from a perspective. There's been a lot of disruption and interruption on the scale of the you know, say, quote unquote, the political level, even though I, you know, I do not want to ever dive into politics too deep because I'm not an expert at that whatsoever. But I truly feel if we can holistically understand the sacred arts of what spirituality was intended to do, and not just embody the stories and implement and regurgitate the stories that we find in religious scripture, in theology, in mythos, quite frankly, and we can embody the actions, we can embody the morality and the ethics that some prophets, some yogis, as you know, you said, Jason, before ascended masters have only alluded to. And if we can continue to really resonate that level of elevation within society, I have nothing but an open heart, a level of love and operating out of that resonance truly can only see unity happen across the board at a global level. And that is my hope. I hope one day 
whether it's me or whether it's somebody else who's investigating spirituality, you know, theology and, you know, the healing of humanity and how we each other can heal can really allude to that and understand it from that scope of really understanding the sheer excellence and the beauty of unity and unity alone. That's so incredibly important right now because I've been reflecting a lot on the need for unity. And then sometimes I wonder like, well, will we achieve that? And I, I think this is another question for both of you is what exactly your definitions are of unity and what do you think that we can accomplish in our lifetimes? Like, I suppose the word can can uh, mean different things, right? Because certainly we are capable of many things and huge things. But, you know, given the state of the country right now in the world, it sometimes feels like uh, in the distant future, if at all, that will feel that sense of unity. It's almost like when I was growing up, I remember how everybody would talk about wanting world peace and it felt so cliche. And then as I got older, I thought like, well, I don't know about world peace per se. And I think that is my newer definition of world peace is unity. But I just don't know if I will see that within my lifetime, given that we can't even get on the same page with the pandemic right now. You know, it's like each country is a little bit different with their approach, each state, each city. And there's just so many people with different opinions and different feelings and experiences and educations that it's not, it doesn't evoke like depressed or hopeless feeling within me, but it's more like a question mark, you know, like, hmm, will we witness a major feeling of unity in the next 70 plus years. Yeah, I will, you know, I'll chime in. I would love to hear, you know, Jason's perspective on that as well. I believe, yes, I believe it fully. And I truly believe that it can absolutely happen instantly if we consciously choose to embody what that actually looks like within our own lives. For me, love, unity, a depth of interconnection truly can happen if we ourselves within our heart of hearts can embody that resonance and operate from that day to day. Yes, certain external factors can shift. Yes, there can be disagreements and arguments on the outside. Yes, there can be almost like a level of a boiling point that happens prior to even dialogue being you know, at face. But we all truly have the tools to embody what unity can look like internally. And if we full circle, express that fully and resonate that with every single step that we take, we can make that happen. Years ago, maybe three or four or five years ago, I, I wrote a poem. I love poetry because it's almost like an art form. Ask me to paint you a picture. I'll probably really struggle with some markers and, and paints and stuff like that. But if you you know stick a blank page in front of me, my favorite art form is poetic expression. I, it's, it's always been something that I've loved, at least for the past 15, I would say about 10 to 15 years. It's been an expression that I really like to share. And there was one thing that I wrote. It talks about unity, but it also talks more about unconditional love. And I think that is an ingredient And it's part of the recipe to really have unity. And it goes like this. It's to unconditional love. I entered through that in deep gratitude for you showing me love through actions that came beyond words. You placed the sacred jewel within my heart with no intention to receive it back. You placed the sacred jewel within my heart to teach me how to become it, to love that which goes far beyond any precious stone, yet effortlessly revolves like rings. We truly have the tools if we want almost instantaneously, 
again, the caveat, if we have the awareness and the tools to be able to self-regulate that, to imprint a depth of connection between every single soul, every single body that is conscious and or sometimes if we want to go down the rabbit hole, unconscious to a certain extent, to have a depth of connection to map out unity like it's never been before experienced within our lifetimes. It's absolutely beautiful. Thank you for that, Ibrahim. And and before I answer the question, remember you sharing something a few minutes ago about being a rug maker and immediately it tied back to your poetry book, The Threads That Weave the Universe. And this came out last November. It's an absolutely stunning cover. I really want to get my hands on this because I'm a huge fan of poetry. And what you just shared with us was absolutely beautiful and resonant. And what it brought up for me, you talked about you know, giving this gift with no expectation of a return. And I think that when we talk about unity in this context, one of the things I think that perhaps might get in the way, I'm sure there's a lot of things, but we have this idea of not enoughness. I think this illusion of scarcity that gets broadcast by, you know, media and certain corporate entities and maybe certain governments of, you know, there's not enough money, there's not enough resources, not enough oil, not enough food, there's not enough. There's almost 8 billion people now and there's not enough for everyone. But I think the, the more that I look into what actually is available in terms of our food supply and our water and our, our air and these seemingly finite resources, that I don't know that it's a matter of not enoughness as much as it is a matter of distributing it and making sure that people's basic needs are absolutely met. And I think for me, one of the things that might get in the way of people shifting into this oneness and the unity consciousness is shifting out of the mentality of not enoughness. I have to hoard things. I have to hoard money. I have to hoard resources. I have to accumulate enough so that you know I feel a sense of safety and security, even if it is at the expense of my brother or my sister next to me not feeling safe and their needs not being met. And so then my question goes into how do we shift into a sense of when my brother, my sister, my fellow human, if they're taken care of and their needs are met, then I can trust that mine will be also. And I don't know, I just feel like there's there's a general scarcity mentality and a fear and a lack of trust that will be provided for that leads people to act out of fear and be violent and hoard things. And I'm always thinking about how do we shift into a mentality of sharing and abundance and generosity and knowing there's enough and out of the illusion of scarcity. Great question. And I love going full circle in the conversations I have with people. If we're at a coffee shop, it'll absolutely be full circle and keep spinning in that resonance. But for me, what I've found to work in my life is by doing good. It's by spreading joy. It's about sharing love and not hoarding, I would even allude to greed, not being greedy and or the, use, the words that I use about myself, not being stingy about not sharing these levels, this gold, this brief moment of essence with everybody else and the people's paths that I personally cross. If we try every single day to do just one good action, one good deed, whether, you know, it's found in a book, making another person smile, moving a stone that's in the middle of the road, outside of the road. If we all really practice 
deeply practice miniature, minute steps within our life, this world would bloom. It would blossom in such an effortless way. Will it happen overnight? Most likely not. But will we personally, individually sense a change coming faster than something happening within the next 24 hours? Absolutely. It's subjective. It's that experience within ourselves. So a big thing that I try to embody is just to do good every single day. If I have the opportunity to wake up, if I have the opportunity to share or connect or just make someone's day a little bit better than where it was before, I feel a level of completeness and wholeness within my life. Really, really do. And any time my, within my existence that I lived skewered from that vantage point and that perspective, things just didn't fall as effortlessly together as they have, at least in the past few months or the past few years for me in my life. Anytime that I'm living adjacent from that, things just don't work out personally for me. Yeah. I mean, we can totally relate to that. (laughs) And it's so wonderful to have conversations like this to be reminded. You know, you touched upon the presence of poetry in your life. And I love that because I used to be really into poetry when I was younger. I was in like poetry clubs in school and used to just really enjoy that process and reflecting on your love for poetry. It's like, wow, like how did that kind of disappear from my life? Or why did I put the pause button on it? You know, and I don't really feel super called to it. I think my creativity gets expressed in different ways. And, you know, sometimes I get into writing. But it's interesting for you, because you said that poetry helped you rediscover the art of forgiving yourself. And I'm just like, fascinated by that. And I think Jason, you know, I'm curious with you, are you doing poetry, Jason? And do you use it for like healing reasons, like forgiving yourself or or using any form of art for forgiveness? My lens on that is songwriting. And I have found that for me, I personally perceive songwriting as a form of poetry. And I look kind of back at the songs I've written and some of the songs that I've written that have never been released. And some of the songs that are in my journals right now that are just kind of sitting there. And it's this interesting conversation because I do feel that writing for me in general, expression through the written word is something that I've always been enamored with ever since I was a very young child and started reading and writing at a very young age. And expression through word and writing has been something that I've had a lifelong love affair with. And I think in terms of the style of writing we're talking about with poetry and my version of that writing songs, there is a therapeutic aspect. And the thing that I sit with sometimes is when I observe my ego or my small self, there's the therapy of doing the action and the songs in my journal and the songs that I sing to myself and that I feel better as a result of expressing. But then there's a barrier that I feel quite often with, ooh, We don't know if we want to share this with other people because this song might just be for you. Is it? Is that me being stingy? Like, as you said, Ibrahim, you know, is that me being stingy? Am I not sharing this song because I'm afraid of being judged? Am I afraid that maybe the level of healing or resonance I feel from playing and singing this song, other people might be indifferent or worse, hate it? And so, a hurdle that I'm overcoming, sort of as a sidebar to this conversation, is with my writing specifically my songwriting, overcoming my resistance to sharing it 
because it's this conversation of, is the song for me and my healing process, or is it meant to be shared with others? And I still, I still feel kind of stuck in that limbo state with some of my creative expressions. Yeah. So, well, one, I have to allude to the whole songwriting process. That is an art. Like music, I am not musically in tuned, but music is a art form. And if anything, I would say it's such a divine art form as, you know, many different things from, you know, clay making, again, rug weaving to people who do graffiti and like murals. Like it's such an intense, beautiful art of whether it's, you know, emotions being expressed, energies being channeled, you know, divinity being channeled in its own way and its own right. I think it's such a beautiful process and keep doing it, keep making it and keep sharing it when you feel called to share it. For me personally with poetry, a lot of times I remember when the first time that I wrote something, I felt uncomfortable sharing it. I was like, ah, oh, you know, I don't want this to be judged and uh, my ego, like I don't want my ego to be hurt or harmed in any way. And I just, I can't do it. I'm uncomfortable with it. So I just bit the bullet. And honestly, I just, I used blurb. I used something completely online and I just shared it with a group and a community. And it was received by some and some people wasn't really received the way that it ex maybe I expected it to be received. And that was okay. For me, I came from the point of saying this, if it can make the difference of the world to just one person, then the world itself has shifted and changed to a degree. Whether it's read by millions or read by one, or even just read by none to the point where like you, Jason, there's poems that I have written in a journal and just stories that I write in a journal that I've never shared with anybody and it's just there, but I had a therapeutic action of just kind of getting that out and releasing it from me. And within my own mental health and my own well-being, it helped. It totally helped. You mentioned the word expectation and this is something that I have danced with so much around my creative life. And it's something we talk a lot about here on the podcast in terms of our mental health is initiating something in the world and doing our best to practice the releasing of expectation and outcome. And it's something that I still wrestle with in the sense of putting my heart and soul into a creative expression and then watching this childlike part of myself want to release it. And then having this sort of posture of, did you like it? Did you like it? No. Cause I really put a lot of energy and love and heart and there's years in this. And I really hope you like it because if you don't, I might feel a little bit crushed and I'm scared to admit that I am still attached to your opinion and the outcome of this thing. And I'm realizing how much that part of my psyche still exists and also how much it gets in the way of me enjoying releasing something creatively into the world, right? It's almost like in a way, a metaphor is almost like a begging bowl of like, oh, no, no, but, but really, 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 I'd love your acknowledgement and I'd love your feedback and your, you know, please tell me I'm a good singer. Please tell me I'm a good songwriter. And I'm realizing that that's, that is a part of my healing journey and a part of my growing self-awareness of how often that perspective or posture inserts itself in my life, but also wanting to free myself from it because I don't want to create with the expectation of a specific result or a specific reaction from people. I'm trying to practice more and more creating just for the sake of something wanting to come through me. Like I have no idea what this is going to do in the world. I have no idea if this will be a quote success or sell or people will enjoy it. No idea. 
And I'm not even sure if I'll enjoy it. That's a whole other conversation too about artistry and, and free expression is what if it's something that just wants to come through me? And the point is not whether I even like it or anyone else likes it. Maybe it's just something that wants to be birthed into life and released. And that's one thing that I'm sitting with is do I even have to like it? So I was like a part of me right now wants to yell and scream for joy for you, Jason. You didn't just drop gold. You just dropped Fort Knox. So if there was like a button where I can like bam, 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 like actually play that for you, you absolutely express something so important, so important, creating for the sake of just creation. In that process, personally, what I found when I'm in resonance with what you just said, full resonance to what you just said, whatever is being crafted and being created divinely serves a level of service beyond anything. I can't even comprehend it. It's like, I remember when when the book first came out, one person who picked it up and read it, read it to her husband that was in the process of passing, you know, he was passing away, he aged and he was older, living in, I think, northwestern the US, I think either in Portland or Seattle around that region. And he had such a, a diminished level of comprehension that when she would read this this work, whatever I wrote, and honestly, at one point, I didn't even value it that high. I just exerted it, wrote it, put it out there. It shifted something in his relationship with himself, with her. I had no intention, zero intention and zero expectation that this work, these words are going to impact this one person in North Western US that's facing XYZ, that's going to shift his level of consciousness to degree to maybe love, question, or examine a part of his life. I had no clue. So absolutely gold, brother. Like, Amazing. Create, craft, and serve. Just create and craft when you feel like you want to create and craft just to birth something out into this world. And the beauty is maybe two years, 20 years, a hundred years, a thousand years from now, somebody will be building something else upon what was birthed based on that sake of creation that you put out into this world. It's so it's so rich. And I mean that in all ways. And in this sense of not being identified with the things we create. You know, it's sort of a thing that Whitney and I talk about too of, you know, this concept of of almost ownership or identification with material things, whether that's a book we write or a song we write or anything we're birthing into the world or even in conscious languaging of, you know, that's my house, that's my car, I own that thing. And one thing I've been really sitting with and meditating on in terms of my relationship to creation and material things, material objects, is I don't feel like I actually own anything. And I know we're in a context of the world where people have copyright over songs and books and creative ideas. But if I keep zooming out, I start to realize, well, if this thing came through me, right, do I even own it? That seems to be such kind of an odd conversation I keep having my, with myself. It's like, if anything, you know, my vehicle, my house, my companion animals, my girlfriend, my loved ones, I feel like I'm perhaps the temporary caretaker of things, the temporary steward of things. But this idea of ownership, to me, it, it just it's a very tricky concept for me moving forward because I don't know that I want to be aligned with, quote, owning anything. And moreover, I don't know that that language even feels appropriate for me in my life to think that I own anything. Because if Jason, as a concept and this physical body is going to go away, then what I quote own, I will no longer own at some point. So 
I don't know, the idea of being a caretaker or a steward of creativity, objects, material things seems to be more in alignment for me than thinking I'm an owner or things are, quote, mine. Likewise. And again, gold, just dropping gold, dropping gold, dropping gold. For me in my life, when I come to a place of understanding and seeing that, labeling myself as a steward for whatever is coming through me, labeling myself as a steward for what I'm actually adding value to or just giving my energy towards comes with a level of responsibility, be it moral and being ethical of how I operate throughout life. I'm with you on that. I don't even own much, to be honest with you. And anything that I came, I'm going to leave this world wholeheartedly with however shape I came into this world. I came in it with nothing, not that much. I was a blank slate when I came to this world. And I most likely graciously and divinely hope that I leave in the same fashion, as light as I came in. Years ago, I remember leafing through the newspaper when I was living with my mom in Detroit, and there was an article celebrating the Mahatma, Gandhi's birthday. And there was a photo in this article in the newspaper of his possessions when he passed, when he left his body. And I think it was something like 15 possessions. You know, it might have been a pen and a notebook and his sandals and a few garments. And in this photo frame, I remember it hit me. This was in my early 20s. And I was like, wow, this man exited this reality with something like 15 possessions, you know, something he could literally fit into a knapsack or a backpack. And in this sort of emerging conversation, one thing that Whitney and I are big fanatics of is the minimalist movement and sort of shedding these material objects or material possessions that sort of in in the Marie Kondo universe may not spark joy or things that don't bring us a lasting sense of joyfulness or peace or fulfillment. And it's interesting you bring that up, Ibrahim, because I flashed on that Gandhi image of, of that photo of his possessions after he passed and thought, you know, if I really come down to this idea of minimalism and not for the sake of, how do I say this, trying to prove my spiritual asceticism of, hey, look at everyone, look at how few things I can live with. Aren't I grand? Aren't I this spiritually ascended person? I only have 15 things. I'm being mindful of not engaging with minimalism in that sense, but more so I feel like when I free myself of weight when I free myself of density, when I free myself of being responsible for things that aren't necessarily bringing me joyfulness or fulfillment, I feel freer. So it also kind of, you know, in this conversation brings up this idea of, am I doing things because I genuinely want to liberate myself and enjoy the feeling of feeling lighter and freer? Or am I, and I've done this certainly in my life, posturing to show people how spiritual I am? (laughs) (laughs) And it can be a fine line sometimes and also sometimes a chasm. Yeah. So for me, what, and a hundred percent, there is a fine line there too, but it kind of comes down within my life. And it's amazing that you alluded to that image of Gandhi. It comes down to these four tenets that if I'm in alignment with within my own life personally, I find things to be a little bit lighter, just as the way that you're alluding to, at least I'm closing my eyes when you were talking and I'm trying to listen or trying to imagine what it would have looked like to have a knapsack of just 15 possessions, 15 core possessions for one to live with. For me in my life, which I alluded to in the beginning of this conversation, if there's you know rules and tenets that I follow, it comes down to four key things. And that is love, humility, awareness, and self-regulation. With awareness, I can kind of see and sense if I'm ever crossing that fine line or not. Granted, sometimes that 
perception and sub, I guess the subjectivity and the perception thereof, I may not even be aware fully if I am stepping or not, but I can do my best to see if I can move through it properly. But humility is important in that case for me. And love is very important in that case for me too. Again, which you'll always hear me echo of love, love, love as much as humanly possible. But having love for oneself beyond any material possessions has helped me kind of navigate the ebb and flow of life. I really also mesh well with that whole minimalistic lifestyle and just trying to be attuned to it and trying to be a little bit lighter every day. I mean, that's the goal. You mentioned self-love and one of the things that I feel like self-love potentially falls into is that category of sort of the buzzwords we mentioned earlier, vulnerability, authenticity. At the core, what is your, I suppose, what is your perception of self-love? And this this goes for both of you. Whitney, I I would love for you if you feel compelled to jump in of, you know, beyond this intellectualizing of self-love, which I think sometimes, you know, because of social media, it's, you know, oh, take a luxurious bath or treat yourself to a chocolate bar or, you know, sit on the couch and watch your favorite Netflix show. And there's nothing wrong with those activities. But I do feel like self-love has become sort of this amorphous, aqueous thing that on a practical level, I'm curious what it means to you. How do you practice it? And if you're a human being that grew up in, say, a family or a society that didn't even teach you what that meant to love yourself, I mean, I feel like that's a case for so many people I know is it just seems like this bizarre intellectual concept that people don't really even know how to practice it or even start to feel it. You know, it just even hearing it like, I still wonder sometimes, like, how do I love myself more? Yeah, it is really interesting because we get so many mixed messages and and maybe it's just all these different definitions. And perhaps it's also influenced by capitalism, you know, encouraging us to feel less worthy, less loved, always wanting more. You know, we talk so often about the not enoughness and how that's often used to manipulate us to do things, to spend money. And, and I think not enoughness is often part of love. It's like, yeah, I don't feel enough for myself. So I struggle to love myself. I don't feel enough. So I struggle to be in relationships. I I don't feel like anyone could love me because I don't even love myself and all those confusing things. And we go on this endless journey to fix ourselves by buying things or researching or just constantly looking outside of ourselves, coming back to that part. And I think that's probably part of the appeal of minimalism. It's like, wait a sec, I don't need stuff to feel love. Like that really is my basic human state is to feel love. And you have to strip away, but Sometimes the process of stripping away is also learning and being exposed to new thought processes. And I think that's really one of the core reasons we do this show and have guests on like this conversation because we get to learn and rethink things over and over again and kind of see if that resonates with who we are at our core. Yeah. So I totally see that. And I know self-love is one of those things that's being floated around nowadays as one of those power words online. In my life, I had to take, I really had to take many moments in time to really understand what love is to me. To this day, I have not defined it. I don't 
know what it really is or how to put a definition on it. I've known people trying to assess it from a biochemical standpoint within our bodies. And I've read tons of philosophers and poets, of course, like Rumi, you know, shout to the top of his lungs and through words on, you know, poems of love and especially towards his teacher, Shams Tabrizi. And I still don't know what it is. However, I do know the feeling of what love is for me in my life. Anytime that I begin to sense, anytime that I begin to allude to an activity that I'm doing, whether that is my job or my day-to-day of cleaning up something that I was supposed to fix or do something that I was supposed to do, I do my best to bring in that sensation, that feeling inside to the things that I have to do externally and outside. And that's the easiest way I can kind of break it down. And it does require, at least for me, it did and continuously does require patience to really decode it and understand it, to really have a sense of what that feeling is. And I remember a while ago, I wrote down something and it it was this, if you have the patience to count the number of stars in the sky, multiply that number by infinity, and you may come close to love's endless supply. I truly feel that the depths of who we are, we really have a sense of love. We really have this sense of beauty within ourselves. Sometimes it may take a little bit of patience for it to externalize in its own way. And it may be almost near impossible to define it fully for us. But I know without a shadow of a doubt, we felt blips of it. We felt moments in time of what that should be. And if we can carry that over and cross it over to, you know, sitting on a couch, watching Netflix, taking a warm bubble bath, you know, at night to riding a bike, to playing music and like shredding on a guitar, to doing a podcast like this and just interacting with amazing human beings. If we can really bring that resonance towards it, I truly feel this life you know, coming to the thing that we spoke, I think a while ago, Whitney on unity, I truly think that it would come about and sprout almost instantaneous, maybe based on our perception, but it'll definitely come sooner than later. One thing you've brought up, Ibrahim, is awareness and this idea that we can have a pretty immediate perspective shift or maybe even a shift in our hearts. And it's interesting you bring this up because so often I think that I have fallen into some sort of belief system that change and growth and transformational work and sort of, I'm not even sure what to call the umbrella of what we're even discussing today, the exploration of our humanity and existence, perhaps, that change and growth and evolution and transformation is this you know, long, hard-fought, arduous process that requires years and decades of study and work and experimentation and letting go and letting ourselves be destroyed and rising from the ashes like the phoenix and I suppose all of these other tropes. And it's interesting because in multiple points in our conversation today with the three of us, you've brought this idea of conscious awareness creating the potential for an immediate shift, an immediate change. And it kind of flies against, I think, some of this subconscious belief system that I'm now speaking out of, oh, but I I thought it's got to be hard and this thing I've got to fight for and, you know, and shed all these layers like a snake for all these years. And then finally I'll feel transformed. And maybe it doesn't have to be that way at all. Maybe that's a limiting belief system that I and perhaps other people have been carrying around around doing this work of spirit and transformation. Yeah. So it can be effortless. It can be effortless. And when change happens and change shifts, sometimes when we experience it, time 
has a sense of just fading away. We don't even realize the amount. I personally don't even realize the amount of time that it took to get from, you know, point A to point B. And that alludes to a level of effortlessness. We are fortunately, unfortunately, living in an era where, you know, things are becoming more on the tonality and I would say the frequency of instant gratification where everything is literally that. It's instantaneous from ordering meals to wanting change and wanting shifts. We want things now. When I say effortless, that doesn't necessarily mean the work doesn't have to be done. I think, and I'm coming to terms with this, a lot of alternative therapies, therapy in itself, a lot of this spiritual and foundational work that happens within a multitude of domains is really just unworking. It's unworking these thoughts that things have to be you know, really difficult and super strenuous and super hard to kind of come into. Effort is required, yes, but sometimes it doesn't have to be as harsh and as abrasive as we alluded to. And that's where the effortlessness comes in. It can be gentle. We can approach it in a gentle way. But again, with patience, with humility, and with that level of awareness, we can kind of gauge it and sense that it doesn't have to be as hard as we make it out to be. Bringing that level of gentleness, that's our responsibility. That's my responsibility within my life. And I hope everybody you know, examines and tries to embody a little bit more softness in the steps, a little bit more of gentleness, even delving into curiosity of oneself. It's really that simple to me. Curiosity is, I think, such a, a fundamental thing in terms of, for me at least, moving beyond fear is when I feel in in a lot of aspects of my life that I'm potentially afraid to explore something or try something new or, I don't know, move move out of my comfort zone <laughs> as we talk about discomfort and exploration here on the podcast a lot. Um, I've always, this is interesting, I've always felt very drawn to the energy of cats, the cat kingdom, big cats, small cats, medium cats, cats of all sizes. And did you see the cat on his Instagram is what I'm wondering. No, I didn't. <laughs> I would, <laughs> I think that's your neighbor cat, Abraham. Is that right? Like the neighborhood cat or something? But it's so incredibly cute. Yes, it is the most friendliest cat in the universe. And just like you, Jason, I am totally drawn, I think, to that same level of energy too, big time. There's this thing with cats and I was working with a shaman a couple of years ago talking about fear and a lot of the things that were coming up for me on in different spiritual experiences I was having. And he said, be like a cat. I said, what do you mean? He said, you love cats. We were talking about it. We have this mutual love for cats, the shaman and I. And he said, instead of being afraid, what if you can trade your fear for curiosity? And I thought, that's a really big pivot. That's a huge pivot. And maybe it's one of the reasons that I've been drawn to cat energy my entire life. I've literally had cats my since I came out of the womb. I've had cats my entire life. That sense of not only playfulness they have, uh, but curiosity. And and I think that I'm, I'm just so glad you brought that word up, Ibrahim, because it's something that is a potent reminder for me uh, we recorded an episode earlier in the day where I was sharing with Whitney a lot of my fears around growth and experiment and money and taking certain risks in my life. And the curiosity, because I have a house full of cats, but I have five animals here at the house. And so I get daily reminders and curiosity. And I think replacing curiosity and substituting it where we feel fear, 
that's something I want to keep practicing. And I'm glad that resonates with you too. And also on this note, I love that patience is part of this conversation because patience is such an important thing for all of us to practice. And sometimes the answers to us are revealed with time. And sometimes we have to have patience when we feel fear. Yes, that is right. And patience is one of those catalysts that I think is required when one is on the path of self-discovery, of really diving in to understand who we fundamentally are. It's not that instantaneous world without a shadow of a doubt. It really, patience is a key to open that door, at least that I've been finding within my own life personally. I have been wrestling with cultivating more patience my entire life. It has been something that even as a child, I would feel such a extremely potent sense of wanting things to happen right now. And it's something in my own healing work and transformation and spiritual practice, I've dug into like, why have I felt this entire life? This sense of, I bring up Freddie Mercury a lot because he's my favorite singer, but what's the Queen song? Yeah. I want it now. I want it now. You know, it's like this sense of like, I don't know my entire life. Just like, okay, well, why can't it happen right now? Of course it can happen right now. Why are we waiting? Why is everyone just standing around? What the hell's going on? And as I've gotten older, I've realized that that this sense of impatience I've had was from a perception that time was always running out. We go back to the not enoughness conversation. There's not enough time. Time's running out. We have a finite amount of time. Why aren't things getting done quicker? Why aren't we ending racism? Why aren't we transitioning to fully electric cars? Why are we throwing up solar panels on everything? Why is there so much fighting? Why is everyone angry at each other? Like, let's just come on, guys. Let's go through it. But realizing that, you know, people are at the stage of conscious awareness that they're at. And a thing that has helped me be more compassionate and gentle with myself and also with others, especially when I start to feel impatience, is when I start to get frustrated or impatient with myself or other people, it's akin to me. The metaphor I like to use is walking up to like a newborn baby or an infant and being like, why aren't you walking yet? What's wrong with you? You should start walking. What gives? Start walking, buddy. And realizing that in terms of our consciousness and our growth and our awareness, We can't scream at ourselves or scream at others of why we're, quote, not walking yet. You know, we're at our path and the stage of evolution and the pace of our journey that we're at. And reminding myself of that helps me be more gentle with myself and also extends gentleness and compassion to others when I start to get frustrated or impatient. You know, I totally can understand and relate to sometimes that frustration, that frustration where we can take a look from our own perspective to see a lot of wrongs, injustices within our world. And alluding to what I was discussing maybe like a few minutes ago regarding that love, doing a podcast like this, and if there's one other person, just one human being that listens to this this recording that we're doing today, and it changes their outlook on life, that other person can change somebody else's life by his or her own actions. Knowing that effect It's difficult because a lot, I completely resonate with you, Jason. Sometimes I want things like, man, this should change right now. Man, this should just happen instantaneous. Like we should be converting to all electric. And why aren't we doing things like this? And factory farming is not good. It's not a good thing. Like, why don't we just change this? And why can't we actually, you know, start to make this happen now sooner than later? However, what I've noticed personally in my life, and I can be wrong, prior to change, Prior to these magnitudinal shifts happening, 
we must have a dialogue. We must be in a space where we can have a conversation, give our all, open our hearts and pour out from our hearts to get to a point where we can arrive in peace and not just fragmented pieces. We are stepping, each and every single one of us, I guarantee this, we're all going to arrive at the same place together, most likely. We're all going to end up in the same place collectively together, wherever that place you know may be. And again, alluding to the same thing, my hope is with patience, we have the aptitude to not you know, arrive in fragmented pieces, but in a state of peace. And I truly do think it comes into play with actions that we do every single day from recording, you know, an episode like this to having a conversation with somebody in your phone book that you haven't had a conversation with probably in years to just making somebody's day a little bit different and shifting maybe their perspective to a degree to one that is a little bit lighter and less abrasive does take patience, but it is absolutely possible. I love your spirit of, if I may, hopefulness. One thing that I struggle with sometimes is feeling like I lose my faith in humanity or rather lose my faith in life. And one thing that I try and remind myself of is this philosophy, I suppose, that I have even underneath the times that I lose faith is that life is so vast and has is so much, you know, it's like everything in the entire universe, they say we're made out of stardust and we are one with all that is. And I do believe that. And then other times when I feel like I lose faith or I lose my my ability to trust in life and the processes of life unfolding, that the concept of infinity and the concept of the the, the universe and the vastness of all of this is too much for me to even comprehend. And I just, I want to just acknowledge your spirit, Ibrahim, of feeling like, again, as we started this episode, you bring a, a level of joy and openness and love and heartfulness to the things that you do. And as we're wrapping this episode, it's just been an absolute pleasure to dive deeper into your perspectives, your life philosophy, the gold nuggets that you've dropped throughout this episode. And you're the kind of person I would want to have on speed dial on my phone. <laughs> do you get that from your friends? Do you get you from friends like Abraham? I'm struggling, man. Help me, brother. Throw me a line here. Yes, I do. And again, from that place of service, no matter what, I will always be there for anybody. Unless I'm sleeping, I, I'm a very deep sleeper. But no matter what, I am always open to any of my friends that hit me up on speed dial 24-7 outside of my sleep schedule. Well, we are not giving out Ibrahim's direct number on this episode, but we are going to link to all of his incredible resources in the show notes for this episode at our website, which for you, dear listener, is at wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. Just click on the podcast section and it will take you to the show notes for this episode where we are going to link to Ibrahim's website. We're going to link to his Instagram and his social media feeds and also a link for you to explore and purchase and support him through his wonderful book, called The Threads That Weave the Universe. He poured his soul into these poems, and if you have felt his heart in this episode, there's no doubt you will feel his heart in these beautiful expressions in this book. I'm going to get myself a copy because feeling your heartfulness again, Ibrahim, and your creativity and your perspective, I certainly want to dive into more of your creative work. And for you, dear listener, if you want to take a deeper dive again, go to those show notes and click on the links and pick yourself a book from Abraham and dive deeper into his creativity and his expression. And if you want to reach out to us, we are also on all of the social media networks at Wellevator. And you can always shoot us a direct email to myself and Whitney. It's hello at Wellevator 
Com. And with that, Ibrahim, it's been such an incredible pleasure sharing in this energy and going deep and opening our hearts here today. I just want to thank you so much for being a guest with us. Likewise, I truly am grateful for both of you. And if I may, can I actually end this with a poem based on what we talked about? Would you guys No be way. Poems. <laughs> we don't allow those on our show. How dare you? Yeah. So if you guys would, I would love to end it on that note. It's all up to you guys. Please, please share, brother. And this is actually in resonance to, I think, our entire conversation. So I'm just going to go from here. I've been searching for you all my life, traveling by the day and scouring through the night. Went to the mountains in the ocean side, all to find out you were hidden inside. For I am a vessel of truth, forever shall it be. What I found in me eternally resides in we. O seeker of truth, please never forget This sacred treasure was placed in you before we even met. As this universe whirls in a holy dance, let go of your ego and fall in love in this ethereal trance. The thread that weaves is surely you and me, but the truth of the matter is that we are all that we see. My love, protect this truth so it shall always be as the nectar in the hive, delicately protected by the bee. This truth is ours and older than the seven seas. If you really want to find God, remember that we are all the key. Beautiful. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high-performance resources to help you thrive, go to wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. 